sing out. Here we go. Precious blood's atoning. 
standing for prayer this morning. I've been trying to highlight some of the missionaries, God's missionaries, your missionaries that you support each time that you give. And our missionary today is John Smith, Jr., who is a North American Mission Board missionary in Pontiac, Michigan. And you might say we have a missionary in Pontiac, Michigan. Yes, we do. I don't know if you know, but that's an impoverished city uh, struggling because nearly a third of the 60,000 residents are unemployed. Uh, This is this is uh, um, north of Detroit. So that gives you an idea where these folks are. Drugs, crime and unemployment combined to make life even harder there. And Smith, in his younger days, he, he sold drugs. He stole money. He did all these things. But God saved him. And he went back to his hometown in Pontiac. And he's seeking to reach people for the Lord Jesus Christ. So as we pray today, would you lift up a prayer for John Smith, Jr., our missionary in Pontiac, Michigan? Pray for the ministry there and know that as you give today, you're helping to support uh, the ministry that he's doing as God's missionary. seated. Something that I seem to be noticing more and more of late really bothers me. And I wonder if it bothers you, too. Now, I'll just be honest with you. It irks me at times. And I wonder if it does the same to you. Say, what are you talking about, preacher? I'm talking about poor customer service. Happened to me last night uh, before the senior citizens supper. I I went to try to make a quick visit and I had to stop and pick up a few items. And it happened to me again. You know what I'm talking about? I I walk up to the cashier and she doesn't say anything to me. She begins to ring up my items. Not a comment. She's busy looking at everybody coming in the door. 
I, I finally am, am told my total, I get that much, and I hand her a couple of coupons and uh, a comment about an issue with that, and, and then, you know, she gives me my change, and no thank you, no come again, no drop dead, I mean, nothing. <laughs> I mean, just nothing. And I just go on my merry way. You walk in and the greeter looks at you and doesn't greet you. Uh, the waitress treats you like an unwanted pet. She feeds and waters you because she has to. Uh, do you know what I'm talking about? Poor customer service. And you get the feeling that you're bothering these people. And truth be known, you probably are bothering them. Now, don't you feel like saying, don't you feel like saying, hello? If it wasn't for me, you wouldn't have a job. I'm helping to pay your salary. I'm helping to, to pay your cell phone bill. I, I, I'm helping you buy your Big Mac. I mean, I'm doing these things, and, but nothing. But you, you don't say that, do you? you? You don't say that. No. You, you just take your items and you take your change and, and, and you go. But it bothers you, doesn't it? It bothers you. If you're honest about it, I imagine most people say it bothers you. Listen, I think sometimes we as Christians... We treat God and our neighbor the same way. I think as Christians, we treat God and our neighbor as the same way. We serve them because we have to. We serve them because we're supposed to. Not really serving in joy, not really serving in passion, not really serving out of love, but serving merely out of obligation. We're kind of like the young fellow who was courting a girl and he wrote the girl a letter. And here's what his letter said. He said, I would climb the highest mountain for you. I would swim the deepest river for you. I would cross the widest sea for you and cross the burning desert for you. Then he added, P.S. If it does not rain next Wednesday, I'll come to see you. (laughs) We're all about serving if it's convenient. We forget what uh, old Jowett once said, ministry that costs nothing accomplishes nothing. Ministry that costs nothing accomplishes nothing. With that in mind, I want to turn your attention this morning for a few minutes to a story that I'm sure you've heard before. Uh, Some consider it one of the greatest stories ever told. Um, It's often considered uh, one of Jesus's parables. But some believe that it may actually be a true story that the Lord used in in teaching here. We're not for certain, but I'm talking about the parable of the good Samaritan. You'll find it in your Bible in Luke chapter 10. I would ask you to turn there and we're going to read it together. Luke chapter 10. And we'll begin our reading at verse 25. And if it's a real familiar story, don't let the familiarity kind of shut you off from what God wants to teach you today. Uh, Luke chapter 10 And we'll begin reading at verse 25, the parable of the Good Samaritan. The Bible says in Luke 10, 25, and behold, a certain lawyer stood up and tested him, saying, teacher, what shall I do to inherit eternal life? He said to him, what is written in the law? What is your reading of it? So he answered and said, you shall love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, with all your strength, with all your mind and your neighbor as yourself. And he said to him, you have answered rightly, do this and you will live. But he, wanting to justify himself, said to Jesus, and who is my neighbor? 
Then Jesus answered and said, a certain man went down from Jerusalem to Jericho and fell among thieves who stripped him of his clothing, wounded him and departed, leaving him half dead. Now, by chance, a certain priest came down that road and when he saw him, he passed on the other side. Likewise, a Levite, when he arrived at the place, came and looked and passed by on the other side. But a certain Samaritan, as he journeyed, came where he was. And when he saw him, he had compassion. So he went to him and bandaged his wounds, pouring on oil and wine, set him on his own animal, brought him to an end and took care of him. On the next day, when he departed, he took out two denarii, gave them to the innkeeper and said to him, take care of him. And whatever you spend or more you spend, when I come again, I will repay you. So which of these three do you think was neighbor to him who fell among the thieves? And he said, he who showed mercy on him. Then Jesus said to him, go and do likewise. Now, you clearly see the setting uh, where this story is told, a certain lawyer. Now, it's not a lawyer like you and I think about in a court of law. Uh, this man was a scribe. This man was an expert in the law of God. He was a professional theologian. He was one who studied and interpreted the law of Moses, the law of God. And so this lawyer, perhaps trying to trick up the Lord Jesus, trying to get him to mess up in his answers. He asked the Lord Jesus how to obtain eternal life. And rather than simply answer the man outright, Jesus answers the lawyer's question with a question. In verse number uh, 26 there, he said to him, to, to, to what is written in the law? What is your reading of it? And being the expert that he was, this, this lawyer, this scribe, he rattles off the great commandment in verse 27. Uh, he says, uh, you shall love the Lord your God with all your heart, your soul, your strength, your mind and your neighbor as yourself. Now, the Lord Jesus himself over in Matthew 22 said this. Jesus said to him, you shall love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, with all your mind. This is the first and great commandment. And the second is like it. You shall love your neighbor as yourself. On these two commandments hang all the law and the prophets. So we know that um, the Lord Jesus said that the great commandments love God with everything. The second commandments love your neighbor as yourself. He asked this man, what, what do you see in God's word? He says, you love God and love your neighbor. And the Lord Jesus looks at the man and he gives him this answer in verse 28. And he said to him, you've answered rightly, do this and you will live. Now, some look at this passage and we say, wait a minute. Jesus is saying that we can be saved by our keeping of the law. Jesus is saying that we can be saved by good works. Jesus is saying we can be saved by loving God and loving others. Well, wait just a minute. We have to understand, looking at the Bible and looking at Scripture, comparing Scripture with Scripture, that the law was never given to save man. I want you to understand that. The law was never given to save man. Jot these references down and listen to them. Galatians 3.11. But that no one is justified by the law and the sight of God is evident, for the just shall live by faith. Now listen to Galatians 3.24. Therefore the law was our tutor. Our schoolmaster, the old King James says, our tutor, our schoolmaster to bring us to Christ 
That we might be justified by faith. You see, the law was never given so that man could be saved. The law was given to show man that he needed to be saved. The law was given to show the perfect standard of righteousness, to show God's holiness, and to show that we fall short of that righteousness. And so the law shows us that we're undone, we're sinners, we're lost, we're helpless, we're hopeless. The law was given not that we could be saved by the keeping of the law, but to show us that we needed a Savior. We needed somebody to stand in our place. We needed the Lord Jesus Christ. It was a tutor. It was a schoolmaster. It was meant to bring us to Christ. And so what Jesus is saying to the man is, do this and you will live. But that was the problem. See, this man couldn't do this. This man had not and could not love God for all of his heart, soul, strength and mind and love his neighbor as himself. You see, the law, beloved, says do, 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 do. I love how somebody said it. One put it this way. The law says do. The gospel says done. The law says do. The gospel says done. You see what Jesus is no doubt trying to do here is to help this man to see his lost condition. To see that he needed a savior. You see, Jesus was the only one who ever perfectly kept the law in every jot and every tittle. And we must place our faith in him alone, who is the perfect son of God, perfect God, perfect man joining the flesh, who perfectly fulfilled the law. You see, the desire that Jesus had out for this man, this lawyer, was once he said, do this and you will live, was for the man to say, but I can't do that. I've already failed. I've already fallen short of that. I don't love God with everything I am. I don't love my neighbors myself. That, that would be the desire of that person as the law is presented. And even today as the law is presented. That you might see if you don't know Christ that you fall short of God's perfect standard of righteousness and you need a savior. But sad to say that man did not do this. In fact, look at what he does in verse 29. In verse 29, but he wanting, watch this, wanting to justify himself, said to Jesus, and who is my neighbor? He wanted to justify himself. He still wanted to, to justify himself. And so he throws out another question. Uh, perhaps to try to try maybe throw up a smoke screen. If he was trying to trip up the Lord Jesus, that it wasn't working. Maybe he felt convicted. You ever witness to somebody and you're talking to them about their sin and their need of Christ and they change the subject? You know, that conviction begins to come. And so this man says, well, who is my neighbor? And in response to that question, the Lord Jesus tells the story, the parable of the good Samaritan. Now, it's important before we look at the story, particularly to understand that only after we've received the Lord Jesus Christ as our savior, can we really begin to love God and love our neighbor. Only after we know Jesus can we really begin to love God and love our neighbors as ourselves. You see, that's that's a fruit of our new relationship with the Lord. It's a fruit, not the root. We're not saved by works. We're not saved by keeping the law. We fall short of God's standard of righteousness. We're saved by grace through faith in the Lord Jesus Christ. But listen, once we're saved, once we've trusted Jesus, there should be flowing out of our relationship with him good works. Not to keep ourselves saved, 
Not not to earn merit with God, but because we're saved, because we know Jesus, because we've been changed and redeemed and we're children of God. Now, out of our life should flow love for God and love for others out of our lives should flow good works. As we'll see in a moment here, love is more than feelings. Everybody needs to understand that love is more than feelings. Love is active. I've never read the book, but I like the title of one of Gary Chapman's books. He, he wrote a book called Love is a Verb. What a great title. What a great truth. If, we're, if we love God, we're going to love our neighbor. But who is our neighbor? Is our neighbor just the person that lives in the house next to us or the people that live on my street or just those who live in a one mile radius? Is that, is that who our neighbor is? Well, let's dig in and see what the Lord Jesus said to this man and those who are listening and says to us today. As we begin looking at the parable itself, I want you to realize this truth. We're surrounded by hurting people. We're surrounded by hurting people. Now you take verse 30. And you change the places and you change a few details and it reads like something out of the Charlotte Observer. Look at verse 30. A certain man went down from Jerusalem to Jericho and fell among thieves who stripped him of his clothing, wounded him and departed, leaving him half dead. Now, if this was indeed a true story, the Lord Jesus was was speaking here. MacArthur tells us that road from Jerusalem to Jericho was a rocky, winding, treacherous descent of about thirty three hundred feet in 17 miles, 17 miles long. The stretch of road was notorious for being beset with thieves and danger. It was a place you really did not want to find yourself after dark. And this man was on that road and in the parable, whether it was a parable, if it was a true story, uh, he was there and he was bleeding. He was broken. He was desperate. And the Bible says he was he was half he, he, half dead. He could even die. Now, I don't want to belabor this point. I don't need to. But you realize, men and women, that our world is filled with bleeding and broken people. Our world is filled with bleeding and broken people. We're surrounded by hurting people. We're surrounded by people that are messed up. We're surrounded by needy people. They're everywhere. We're surrounded by needy people. But there's a second thing we've got to realize, and that's this. We're surrounded by those who ignore these hurting people. We're surrounded by those who ignore these hurting people. Let's just be blunt and honest about it. Some people just do not care. They care about themselves and and their home and their family, but they don't care about anybody else. Now, we have two men mentioned here. Look at verse 31. Now, get the picture. This man is, is there. He's, he's bleeding. He's broken. He's half dead. He, he's, he has no clothes on because they've stolen his apparel. He's in a desperate situation. Verse 31. Now, by chance... Now, by chance, a certain priest came down that road and when he saw him now now I want you to notice he did see him. And when he saw him, what did he do? He passed by on the other side. Well, let's look at verse 32. Maybe it gets better. Likewise, a Levite. When he arrived at that place, came and looked. So so maybe he didn't talk a moment and he kind of went over and peeked at this fella. And then what did he do? He passed by on the other side. They see the man. They see he's in trouble. And they both make the choice to pass by 
on the other side. I'm not going to get involved in that. Well, whatever their excuses might have been, they decided not to show love and compassion. In fact, they decided not to love their, their neighbor as themselves. We're surrounded by people like that. People who do not care. People who turned a blind eye and a deaf ear to those who are hurting and bleeding and broken. And by the way, these very same people will sometimes try to get you to do the very same thing. They'll try to encourage you not to get involved. Try to encourage you not to help people. Just worry about yourself and yours and and the things that belong to you. You see, we're surrounded by hurting people. We're surrounded by those who just ignore these hurting people. But here's the third point I want you to get, and that's this. We're supposed to love these hurting people. We're supposed to love them. Jesus said to this man in verse 37, go and do likewise, be a neighbor. So here's the question. Who is our neighbor? Who who is it that Jesus wants us to love? Well, let's think about it for a moment. We assume, and most scholars I read seem to, that the man in the story who was robbed and bleeding and broken, he was a Jew. And he's helped by a Samaritan. And if that's the case, and the Lord put a very interesting twist On this particular story, see, the Jews hated the Samaritans. You remember in John chapter four, verse nine, the the woman of Samaria talking to the Lord Jesus said to him in chapter four, verse nine. How is it that you being a Jew ask a drink from me, a Samaritan woman, for Jews have no dealings with Samaritans. So here we have they're listening to the story, these Jews, and they heard about these men in ministry that came, a priest and a Levite. And maybe in their own mind, thought he's going to bring a regular person along and use that. But instead of doing that, he says, listen, a Samaritan came. You can kind of feel the, the tension and the disgust in their their bodies as he said that word Samaritan. In fact, when he asked who had been a neighbor, if you look down there in uh, verse 37, instead of the man saying the Samaritan, he said he who showed mercy on him. Maybe he didn't even want to use that word Samaritan. There was a disgust there, if you will. Well, let me go ahead and clearly spell it out. Who is our neighbor? Who is it that we're supposed to love? Well, the word neighbor in the Greek means one who is near. Uh, the Hebrew word that, that it translates Rhea means a person with, with whom one has something to do. Somebody you have something to do with. Uh, if you look there, it, 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 Jesus, he, he turns the man's question inside out. He says, at verse 36, so which of these three do you think was a neighbor to him who fell among the thieves? What did the man say? Who is my neighbor? You see, Jesus turned his question inside out. It wasn't so much about who is my neighbor, but this, am I a neighbor? G. Campbell Morgan said this way, be a neighbor. And the moment you are neighborly, you will find your neighbor in the man who needs your help. You see, the idea is not so much, you know, who is my neighbor? I don't think they're really a neighbor. I can't help them. No, the idea is, am I a neighbor? You see, when I become a neighbor, then the one who's my neighbor is the one I come across who is near, who needs help. A neighbor is anyone in need. That's a neighbor. And so we know where to love our neighbor. So we said a moment ago that that love, this love is not just a feeling. Because, you know, sometimes the feelings are not there. Love is a choice, isn't it? We have to choose to love. And love is active. So what does this love look like? Well, the good Samaritan shows us what this love looks like. Look at what he did there. I want you to notice, first of all, what all he gave. I want you to notice that he gave his emotions. 
Look at verse 33. But a certain Samaritan, as he journeyed, came where he was. And when he saw him, he had compassion. He gave of his emotions. He he got involved emotionally. He had compassion for this person. He didn't harden his heart and just kind of say, wow, no, he allowed himself to have compassion towards this man. I want you to notice that he gave of his time. He stopped on his trip. He came where he was. Verse 34. He went to him and bandaged his wounds. Now, that takes time. Let me ask you, I mean, that, that's getting pretty involved, isn't it? To go and to bandage somebody's wounds that you don't even know. To stop and help someone who's bleeding and broken, whom you don't know who this person is. I want you to notice he gave his emotions. He gave his time. He gave his supplies. Look at verse 34 again. Pouring on oil and wine. I'm told that oil was used for pain and wine was used for disinfectant. Maybe travelers in those days would carry a small amount of this for if they got into these situations. And so he took his own supplies, his own oil, his own wine, and he began to pour that to, to relieve the pain, to disinfect the wounds. He began to bandage this man. He gave his emotions, his time, his supplies. And look what it says next in verse 34. And he set him on his own animal. He gave his transportation, his own animal. That means he walked and let this wounded man ride on his animal. Notice he gave him lodging as well. Verse 34. He brought him to an inn and took care of him. He didn't just bandage him and leave him laying there. He put him on his own animal, took him to an inn and took care of him. And then I want you to notice he gave his own money. He gave his own money. Not only the, the, the first night there at verse 35. On the next day when he departed, he took out two denarii. Gave them to the innkeeper and said, and I want you to notice what he said, take care of him and whatever more you spend when I come again, I will repay you. He gave his money. You say, well, how much money is this? Well, we know two denarii would be at least two days wages. He gave for this man that he did not know. And I want you to notice he gave his ongoing commitment. Can you imagine saying to the innkeeper, listen, you take care of him. I'm coming back and whatever you spend, I'll make it right. Whatever you spend, I'll pay you back. Compassion and care. Now, listen, his love was practical. His love was active. His love was costly. I mentioned a moment ago, ministry that costs nothing accomplishes nothing. You see, true ministry, true serving, true love is costly. We give up our time and our resources and our money and our lives to help those who are bleeding and broken and in need. Now, I want to talk to you for a little bit about one of the ways that we are going to seek to love our neighbors as a church family. You maybe have already looked at the bulletin and you saw that Tuesday, the 17th, is Love Your Neighbor Day. You say, well, preacher, what in the world is love your neighbor day? What do I mean by that? Well, let me just say, first of all, I hesitate to put this in the schedule. You know why? Because I don't want it to be the idea. This is something we only do when it's planned. We only do it when the church plans it. We only do it on this certain day and no other time. No, you see, as believers, this should be a way of life for us. We should be a neighbor. We should love God and love our neighbor at all times. But here's what I'm doing. I put it on the calendar because you know what? We're busy and we're burdened down with a lot of stuff. 
And it's real easy in the busyness of our lives that we just kind of go through life and we're like the priest, the Levite. And I don't have time. I'm going to pass by on the other side. I don't have time to get involved. I don't have time to deal with you. And so my prayer is as we do this as a church family, one day it leads to more days and it becomes a lifestyle for us. You see, we're going to seek to schedule one per month. See, our deacons already have their deacon visitation. And now I told them at our last meeting, they fall under the same thing. Love your neighbor day. Now, let me just say this, because I know some of you are saying, well, I'm I'm home free. I'm busy Tuesday. I don't have to love my neighbor. Listen, that's just a suggested day. If Tuesday doesn't work, do it Wednesday, Thursday, Monday, today, sometime this week. Do it, do it, do it during the day, do it during the evening. Real simple. Now, here, listen to me. We're not asking you to come to the church again. We're asking you to be the church. We're not asking you to come to church. I'm not looking for you to show up Tuesday. We're asking you to be the church. So, preacher, what are you asking? I'm asking you, I'm encouraging you to be the hands and feet of Jesus to practically serve your neighbor. And I want to encourage you to do it as a family. If you've got young children or if you're a husband and wife, if you're empty nesters, or maybe you're a single person, you get a friend or whatever. But here's what I'm asking you to do. I'm asking you to pray and ask the Lord how he wants you to serve somebody else. That's what I want you to do. And I say involve your kids, you know, as as our family is in ministry, we work very hard to as much as we can involve our children in ministry. And I'll be honest with you, they, they love going and serving others and they love ministering to other people. And I want to see that developed in them. And listen, parents, you should desire the same thing for your kids to see them to love people, love God and learn to be a servant. But here's what I'm asking you to do. See, we're not going to give you assignments. And we're not going to check up on you. And here's what we're doing. We're going to ask you that if God does something awesome and you want to share the testimony, please share it with us. We'd love to, to rejoice with you. But we want everybody to minister to somebody. Now, we're ministering not only to our church family. We're ministering to believers and non-believers. See, remember, a neighbor is anyone in need. It might be a material need. It might be a physical need. It might be a financial need. It might be an emotional need. It might be a spiritual need. We're asking you not only to to build up believers, we're asking you to build bridges with the lost. Build bridges with the lost to be able to share the gospel. You see, it may take just dropping off a a plate of cookies or or stopping by for a moment saying, uh, I just wanted to stop by and say that we prayed for you, whatever. And you begin to build bridges to share the gospel. You see, one of the greatest ways to obey the great commandment is to obey the great commission. We're not just doing works for works sake. We're seeking to bring glory to the Lord Jesus. We're seeking to build bridges to get the gospel out. It might involve a meal. It might involve some handyman work. It might involve inviting neighbors over for a game night. It might involve a quick visit. It might involve a visit to the nursing home. It might involve going down your neighborhood, passing out cookies. It might involve an invitation to church. Whatever it is, you're going to practically seek to do something to love your neighbor and love God. Now, I'm just tossing out ideas because I really want you to go to the Lord. And, and I'll be honest with you, God probably has already brought some of your mind already. Maybe somebody at work, maybe somebody at school, maybe somebody that God's placed in your path, a neighbor of yours, because that's anybody in close proximity and need. And listen, everybody needs Jesus. What does God want you to do to begin building bridges 
to reach that person with the gospel. Or maybe it's a brother and sister in Christ. What does God want you to do to help build them up? You see, our world is filled with hurting and needy people. And there are a lot of folks who just ignore these people. We're supposed to love them. I was thinking about this. I'm sure Teresa could speak to this, Teresa Pope. But you know, we go to, I go to the assistant living and nursing homes and all. And uh, we have to, we, we're supposed to sign in. And um, you, you sign in your name and when you got there and who you're going to see. And, you know, I, I wonder if they do this. And I won't ask you to tell. But I, I wonder if sometimes they don't flip through that and see that uh, some people never get a visit. Uh, some people have no family, have, have nobody. I used to be better about this. I don't do it as much as often as I should. But used to, I used to go to hospital. I used to try to visit on either side of the room where I was. Or if I go somewhere, I try to visit on either side. Who, who is it that you could reach out to? You and your family. And love them. Now, now listen, when you do it, don't say, our church planned a special night and we're here to love you. <laughs> Don't do that. Stay home. Pray for us. Don't do that. And don't do it just because, well, the preacher said we need to go. Listen, I want you as a believer to realize that God wants you to love God and love your neighbor and serve them and build bridges with them. Talk is cheap. We can talk all day long. We can say, oh, we love our neighbor. We love our community. We, we love Red Hill. We love Waitsboro. We love Anson. We can talk to our blue in the face. We've got to move from talking to planning to doing. Jesus says, go and do thou likewise. You see, love your neighbor day just gives you a target. You know why? Because if you aim for nothing, you're going to hit it every time. And so we're just putting a target on there. So listen. Maybe it's been a while. And I know life is busy. I just, I just confess to you. I used to do more in some regards. But, but I'm busy. I've got to make this other visit. I've got to go here. I've got to write this sermon. I've got to do this. You see, people matter, beloved. Jesus loved people so much he gave his life for them and died for them and rose again for them. Maybe you say, well, preacher, will this really make a difference? I mean, uh, going by and taking a meal to somebody, going by and just just sharing some cookies, going by and just uh, spending a few moments, uh, maybe calling somebody, maybe setting up a game, maybe having a cookout, whatever it might be that God would guide you to do. Will it really make a difference? Why don't you ask that man that was bleeding and broken laying by the side of the road? Ask him, did it really make a difference that Samaritan stopped by that day? Did it really make a difference that he took the time to, to give him resources, resources and money and time and effort? Yes, because that man was half dead. And listen, there are a lot of dead people around us, spiritually dead, without Jesus Christ, without hope, without heaven, without a savior. And we've got to reach him with the gospel. One of my favorite stories about a small boy who lived by the ocean. And this little boy, he loved the creatures of the sea. And his favorite creature that he loved was a starfish. And he spent much time exploring the seashore and just wilding away the days along the coast. And one day he learned there was going to be a minus tide. And that minus tide was going to leave the starfish stranded on the sand. And so the day that that was to happen, he went down to the beach and he began looking and he saw all the starfish and he began picking up stranded starfish and tossing them back into the ocean. You see that little boy there in the ocean and he's picking up a starfish and he's throwing it back in the ocean. And he's picking up another one and throwing it back in the ocean. When an elderly man lived 
next door and he came down to the beach to see what this boy was doing. And he asked him what he was doing. And the boy says, I'm saving the starfish. You know, he proudly said, I'm saving the starfish. The elderly neighbor, he began looking up and down the seacoast and he saw all those stranded starfish and he he shook his head and he said, I'm sorry to disappoint you, young man. But but look down the beach one way. There are stranded starfish as far as the eye can see. And if you look down the beach the other way, it's the very same thing. And he said, one little boy is not going to make much of a difference. And the boy stood there a moment and he thought. Then he took his small hand and he reached down and picked up a starfish from the sand He tossed it into the ocean and he said these words, I sure made a difference for that one. Will it make a difference? How many people talk about the sanctity of human life? How many people have taken their lives? Taken their own life. Would it have made a difference if somebody would have came by and loved that person and helped that person and encouraged that person? How many people are lost and hurting and needing and bleeding and broken, wondering, does anybody care? Does anybody love me? And Jesus says, I want you to be my hands and I want you to be my feet and I want you to love me. And I want you to love your neighbor. And I'm looking to you, Christian, to share with them my love. Just how much I love them. And yes, it may cost you time. And it may cost your resources. And it may cost you money. But friend, it cost Jesus his life. And his blood. That's how much he loves them. And so I put out today a challenge to you. And again, not asking you to come here, not asking you to fill out a form or anything. I'm just saying, would you as a believer, would you and as your family, would you get together and say, listen, let's pray. Who is it that God wants us to reach out to this week with the love of Jesus? And what is it that he wants us to do? And my prayer is if you're not already doing that, that will begin maybe Tuesday. And it'll become a more and more regular part of your life. It becomes a lifestyle because that's what it ought to be. Because we're supposed to love God and love our neighbor. Father, I thank you for this account from your word. And Lord, we want to do more than just talk. We want to do more than just discuss how much we love our community and our county. We want to actively show it. And so, Father, we know that we're surrounded by hurting people. And we know that you told us to love them. And so, Father, I pray that you would give wisdom And compassion and grace to each family and each person here that knows you. That our eyes would be opened. 
That we'd be willing, like the Good Samaritan, to stop and give our time, our energy, our resources, our compassion, our money. To begin building bridges with the lost. And also to help build up those who already know you. And now, Father, I pray, because I realize there might be some of those hurting people here today. Lord, I pray that your Holy Spirit would show them just how much you love them. And show them just how much they need the Lord Jesus Christ as their Savior. And during this invitation, I pray they would come to know him as Savior and Lord. And I pray for any of my brothers and sisters in Christ who are here today hurting I pray that you would help us to love them and to build them up. And I pray for your special encouragement in their life, even this morning. Take charge of this invitation, I pray. And we ask this in that name which is above every name. One day every knee will bow and tongue will confess. Jesus Christ, our Lord. In his name we pray. Amen.